Welcome to Soccer 101. My name is Daryl Grove and sitting across the table from me, it's a man who's always a promotion candidate, never relegation fodder. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. I appreciate that. I have never been relegated. We play in a league system that does have pro-rel. I think thus far I've never been relegated. Are you sure? Because our team went one division down just this past season. Did we? Yeah, then maybe I had Maybe I just zoned it out. (laughs) But see, there we go, right there. It wasn't that painful. It didn't even stick in my memory. So you don't even have to deal with the pain of relegation if you get relegated. (laughs) Don't even worry about it, American teams. Don't even worry about it. So we are here to Mm -hmm. talk pro-rel. We're Mm going to talk a little bit, just, you know, the history of why there's no pro-rel in the United States, why it might be a good thing, um, and then we're going to propose some plans for how we could implement promotion relegation in the United States. Should we start with the very, very basics? Sure. Um, Promotion and relegation. Mm -hmm. If you've never experienced it as Taylor, now he's got some uncovered memories. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Maybe maybe I had those professionally removed. I don't know. (laughs) I think England's a good example, right? You can uh, work your way up the divisions in England on sporting merit. You finish in the top two or three teams. You get promoted to the division above. You finish in the bottom three or four teams, depending on how they Mm -hmm. have the system. You get relegated to the division below. So it's not about who's got the most money. It kind of is, but kind it's, of is. it's about the results on the field. Yes, and then it also, uh, you because of that system, you end up not having the, like, oh, bottom of the table doesn't matter. Like, maybe they'll get some draft picks or something like that. Yeah. Instead, now you don't want to be in the bottom. You want to be in the top. Middle can still be dangerous because a couple wrong turns and suddenly you're in the bottom. Mm-hmm. So it makes it that much more compelling because it also allows for new teams to come up and have maybe a refresh plan or, or take some time off and then come back stronger and allows other teams to drop down and operate at a level they're more comfortable with. Well, Tyler, it sounds great. Mm-hmm. So why don't we have it here in the United States there are of America? Reasons. There are reasons. Let's get through some of those reasons. Then. All right. I'm going to start with like a, an easy one, but a big one, which is the bigness of the country. The sheer size of the United States is an issue. Uh, if you look at other countries that have pro-rel, for the most part, they are not uh, comparable in size to the United States. Fair. As we've talked about previously, even a country like Russia, which does have pro-rel, if you look at where their teams are, a lot of them are based in major cities mm-hmm. or the players that play in non-major city clubs still live in the major cities and then like take a jet to play for their team occasionally. I would also argue one of the reasons for no pro-rel is the relative lack of popularity of the sport over the decades, which means there just hasn't been a sort of critical mass of teams Mm -hmm. where we've been able to establish um, a promotion relegation system. And then a lot of the leagues that we have had have eventually folded before Mm -hmm. they've managed to get to the size where they could have promotion relegation. NASL, for example. Any... um, open league where you can sort of spend what you want, do what you want, has failed. The only league that has succeeded in the United States across the decades is Major League Soccer. And Major League Soccer operates on a single entity system where teams can't just enter and leave. You sort of have to buy in to the league. It's a closed system. There's no pro route. Right. And and that closed system has even come under threat at times in terms of the stability it provides when you had uh, the Florida teams uh, contract or the league retracted. Yeah. So even then, you see the kind of threat of not having a lot of control mm-hmm. over everything that's happening. And I also think with that, 
it like connects to American sports in general in that it's more similar in what MLS is doing to NFL, NBA, what have you. Yeah, there's which no is, promotion relegation in the NBA or the NFL. There right? is not. Yeah. And so if you are a, a new league, if you're uh, Major League Soccer in 1995 or 1994 planning out how you're going to operate, if you don't really have the cultural background of having pro rel, mm-hmm. it's, it's not going to be there. So implementing this foreign idea at a time when soccer itself is still a relatively foreign idea yeah. is not going to be a natural thing. So instead you're going to kind of model yourself on existing American leagues. And then there's the owner operators, investors right. who've bought into Major League Soccer. They've put up big money. At this point, it's hundreds of millions of dollars to uh, get an expansion mm-hmm. team and become an MLS owner um, investor. I can see the argument that if you've put all this money into being in the the top flight of soccer in the United States, you don't want to open up the system and risk your team getting moved down the divisions. That's, mm-hmm. that's the big argument, right? I have a question there. Like, not to go political, but it's kind of a politics thing. Do you feel like that is an element of, or that relates to the idea of, like, I was here, like, I had to put in the money, I had to put in this work, other people shouldn't benefit from that, like, I should be the one to continuously benefit because I spent that money, I paid that expansion fee? You could argue there's a reflection of that in mm-hmm. American politics, and that's as far as I'm willing to go. <laughs> but uh, Any more reasons why we yeah, haven't had pro-rail I mean, in the United States? Before we move on to the benefits of pro realm. Sure. Yeah, I think maybe like what I was just talking about connects, but I do think there is a lack of cooperation in U.S. soccer in the sense that I think like we saw this with uh, DA academies versus non-development academy teams, and we've seen this between different leagues with NASL, MLS, USL. You don't have a the lot soccer of cooperation. Wars, especially yeah. NASL, USL, and exactly. NASL originally coming after Major League Soccer, right? right? You, and then failing. You don't have cooperation, and if you don't, and like you, instead you have people wanting to be in charge, wanting to get the credit. We've had that here in Richmond when clubs would merge and then other directors would be like no I like I want to be in charge I don't want to forfeit my 100% control yeah. to only have 30% control so and- it would require mm-hmm. more cooperation than has, tradi- than has traditionally existed in the United States of America in our soccer landscape. Strangely, it either requires more cooperation or a dictator. Like that's uh-huh. really it's either it's either everybody working together or one person saying this is how it's going to be and that's how it's going to be. Okay. Um, okay, so if we were to mm-hmm. somehow uh, get some sort of promotion and relegation system and we're going to we're going to lay out our plans or mm-hmm. our ideas at least later on, what would be the benefits to soccer in America? Um, I I think to start with, you're going to have more clubs because instead of it being what we have now where you've got a lot of different leagues of varying sizes and – historicalness in terms of how long they've longevity would be the better way to put that one mm-hmm. um, you would have just sort of an, like a league system that is structured that you know we're going to start here if we do really well we'll move up if we do really well we'll move up and maybe one day maybe we'll get to that top flight so it sounds like you're describing uh, stability mm-hmm. within the lower leagues right. and opportunity mm-hmm. within the lower leagues yeah because I think you can sort of you can go to a smaller city like, like, like not smaller necessarily but like Virginia Beach as an example like you could start a team there you've got people who are just interested in soccer you've got a lot of club soccer there and you could sort of say like look we can get more people on board because there's a possibility that down the road we're going to keep moving up yep. even if we don't get to the top top tier we're still going to be higher up where we play different opposition whereas right now it's sort of is like well we're going to start a team we're going to be semi-pro because that's the easiest way to get into it we'll probably stay in that division maybe we move up but probably not or like and but and if we do move up it requires massive investment and expenditure in order to physically move up and pay the like expansion yeah. tier entry fee but now you could there's an, a motivation for mm-hmm. 
someone to put investment into a team that either previously didn't exist or is very small. You could invest in a lower league team mm-hmm. and develop the on-field play. Uh, and then on merit, on yeah. sporting merit, you could move up and become a top division team, right? So if you're a, you know, a relatively wealthy individual with an interest in soccer, you could say, I'm going to pour money into this team. Mm-hmm. I'm going to make it good. And you could, you know, you birth a new team, essentially. You birth a new big team. Exactly. And more teams means more soccer, mm-hmm. means more opportunities for people to play and watch, mm-hmm. uh, which means more players, uh, which means uh, fewer players slip through the cracks. This right. would be good. I would argue this would be good for the U.S. men's national team. Absolutely, because right now the way it works, generally speaking, is that if you want to play for the U.S. national team, if you want to make it onto an MLS team or an MLS academy, you're playing in the development academy or you're playing for that team's development academy. There's only so many spots. Right, Right. and so then people get kicked out, like 12, 13, 14-year-olds. If you get kicked out of that academy or you're no longer moving up, maybe you like lose interest in the sport. But having more teams and the possibility that those teams could then move up themselves means they need a pipeline of young players coming through, which means yep. many, many, many more clubs now need that pipeline of young players coming through. So you have more players staying with their clubs and moving up. Maybe some of them move to the like larger MLS academies and things like that, but I think it no longer becomes a necessity that you play for one of those. And there's also, there's definitely a thing of lower league players don't get the opportunity to play at the top level in the United States because no one's willing to take a gamble on them. Mm-hmm. But there's a history, in England at least, of players playing in the second tier who no one would have signed. Their club gets promoted to the second tier mm-hmm. and suddenly they thrive in that top division. Yeah. You know what I mean? So no one would have taken a chance on them except that they get there themselves through club performance. I think we would find a lot of players that we didn't otherwise find. Am I incorrect? I may well be. This is like the first one that came to my to mind was like Andy Robertson. He comes up with Hull City, right? And then Hull City uh, get relegated. They're obviously no longer in the Premier League. But like that to me is an, an example of a player who maybe rises to prominence a little bit more, gets signed by Liverpool for ten million, yeah. and is now where he is via Scotland. But yes, that's fine uh, with me. Hey, yes, Scotland counts, Mister <laughs> Englishman. There's also this aspect. Mm-hmm. There's definitely a thing of um, Hispanic players not having enough opportunities in the United States. Mm-hmm. It's very easy with the pro rail system for someone to form a majority Hispanic. Club yep. and see how that team rises up the ranks. Yeah, I mean, so, so think of yeah. it that way. You could solve the sort of what I'm going to call the accidental racism problem that mm-hmm. seems to exist, or maybe there's no such thing as accidental racism. It's probably a whole other podcast. Uh, but you could, we've touched on American politics and racism in society. But it would be a way around that sort of bias that happens, where you could just yep. have a team and be like, "Hey, here's a bunch of uh, a bunch of Hispanic players who mm-hmm. no one would take a no one would take a chance on, no one would give a chance to. We're going to rise up the leagues and make a name for ourselves." Yeah. So now we've got more players from a variety of backgrounds. We're fix America with pro There we go, playing in more clubs and more leagues. I think it all makes sense, and with that comes a bit more of the dream, of the American dream, of work really, really hard, do well, you rise up. Uh, I don't know how much I believe in that one anymore, but uh, in terms of soccer, I definitely do. But it, yeah, they, mm-hmm. it would be the embodiment of the American dream. What if yeah. we rebrand, rebranded ProRel as the American dream system? I would flip that around and say, <laughs> what if you rebrand the American dream as ProRel? Because <laughs> sometimes you go up and sometimes you go down. That's a bit more realistic in my mind. But it is the case that like we have the Richmond Kickers here, and I think you and I are, are pretty invested in the team. We're certainly not mm-hmm. – we're not as invested as the people out there like – like setting off smoke bombs and uh, all that goodness. But I think if there was that possibility, even a tiny, tiny, tiny possibility of the kickers moving up and moving up and moving up, it, but you, I think it takes on that much more agency. You're that much more invested because there's that possibility and there's yeah. that idea that if we all get behind them, if we're all pushing, maybe that little bit of extra money, that little bit of momentum, that little bit of atmosphere, it helps them play yep. that much better and that helps them move up. So there's also, there, what you get as well is the drama. Right? Yeah. If you have pro rel, then every level of soccer in America from the very top 
to the very bottom, there's going to be drama because even halfway through the season, even if you're not going to right now like make the playoffs and win your like fourth tier or third tier championship, there's a chance that you move up a division. And, and uh, the flip side of the coin is there's a chance that you get relegated down a division. Using the kickers as a good example, um, it's been two or three years uh, previous to this, what, 2017, uh, 18, 19, they finished towards the bottom of the table. Maybe it, what would have been the relegation mm-hmm. spots, but there was no drama. If they'd been fighting relegation, it would have been a whole different atmosphere mm-hmm. um, at those games. So you would bring drama to American soccer. Honestly, games would matter more. It would make for a better product. It would make for something better to go and watch in person, better to watch on television. And in conversations I've had with people who aren't as familiar with ProRel or are newer to soccer and, and are like, wait, hold on, what's this, this thing that happens? Weirdly, relegation seems to be the one that a lot of people are more interested in than the promotion aspect because I think so often in American sports you have tanking and you have deliberate losses in order to get better draft picks and to be able to offload contracts. And then you just have teams that are really bad and consistently bad and and ownership groups that don't spend the money because they don't have to to really improve their teams. So the idea of now you're punished for that and now you're getting kicked down a league where Mm -hmm. you've got to really come to terms with maybe I don't want to operate this team anymore or maybe I have to spend some more otherwise we're going to keep dropping down, mm-hmm. the idea of it forcing owners to act is a very appealing thing. Yes, especially at the top level, you mm-hmm. couldn't have a Colorado Rapids situation where maybe they're not putting that much money into yeah. the team. Yeah, right? exactly. Because you would get relegated and then the team that you've got, the value would drop because you drop down the divisions. It would be a motivation for all owners to make their teams better. There we are. Speaking of value as well and, and the monetary aspect of things, uh, like you're a believer in the idea that ProRel helps with player movement as well, correct? I think, or at least I, be- I strongly believe that the current closed system of MLS mm-hmm. and the roster rules and the salary cap and all that um, is part of what makes it very difficult for there to be a proper free market of uh, buying and selling players within the United States. Mm-hmm. There's just you just very rarely that an MLS team will pay a transfer fee like they do in the rest of the world to a lower league team, say a USL team, to buy one of their players. And that really, once that market could be opened up, that would be. Um, a way of funding those lower division teams. They yeah. would encourage teams to produce young players that are moved move up within the United States soccer structure as and money moves down yeah. and everyone gets more investment that way. I think if everybody was within a pyramid uh, promotion relegation structure instead of like one league being closed off at the top, you get a lot more of a free market. You get a sort of trickle-down economy um, of player buying and selling. Yeah, because even though you – like right now you still have MLS as your like – Division one sanctioned league. You have USL as your Division two sanctioned league. So one and two, it should be the case, but it's not that that division is hard and firm. And I think with that, MLS teams look and think like, well, our development academy team or our second team is playing in that division or that league. So how good can that team really be? How good is that player really? Whereas I think if it's now you've got two divisions, but they're actually connected in terms of three teams or however many teams at the end of the season are going up, I do think it maybe opens it up a bit more of, well, no, those guys have to be good because they're competing in that lower division. So maybe we can find some talent there. I think it just it changes the perspective a little bit on how we look at talent development and talent recruitment. Yeah, especially if you're technically then all in the same pyramid, in the yeah. same system, mm-hmm. as opposed to being in two different organizations. Yeah. Um, okay, before we get into our plans, any other perceived... Uh, Benefits to no. I'm Pro just Rel? now. I'm, I'm ready to talk uh, our our plans because I'm excited. You want to make it happen I mean, because ProRail is a really exciting concept. It's a really yes. exciting possibility, albeit a very small possibility. It's one I think you and I would both like to see. Of course, but it's one that I we recognize there are many many obstacles and a lot of things that will probably prevent it happening from a very long time. But that doesn't mean we don't want it to happen. Yeah. So I'm excited to look at some possibilities for how it could happen. 
One thing I'd say is just complaining really hard on Twitter and uh, calling Don Garber names. That's not going to make it. Happen. Are you sure? It seems like we're making a lot of progress with that one. What about renting like electronic billboards outside of uh, conferences and conventions? We've seen that as well. I yeah. don't think that I don't think that changed any minds. Do you, let me ask you this: Do you think that hurts actually? Because I, I do a think... a little bit. Yeah, I don't think it like hurts in a way that it will stop pro rel mm-hmm. happening. Yeah. I think they're just they're just bigger forces at work. Uh, but I don't I don't think it helps the cause because it makes people reticent to talk about it because you don't want to be seen as one of those people, right? right? It's a, as soon as as soon as pro rel comes up, there are the jokes of like, oh, "Are you going to put your tin hats on to do mm-hmm. that?" one and like like you were it even shouldn't be something that is associated with uh like crazy people yeah you know what i'm saying but like like weren't you tweeting the other day and you referred to it as like uppy downy because you didn't yeah. really want to get into pro rel uh, yeah i wanted to have a conversation mm-hmm. that included pro rel but i didn't want to attract uh, a crowd of people mm-hmm. who were conspiratorial thinking it would be a lot of insults about major league exactly soccer. yeah yeah, um, yeah. so all right so i think like maybe we destigmatize a little bit while at the same time asking everyone to just be a little bit nicer there we go yeah and if everybody you... be nicer you might get pro rel as a reward one more thing a way that maybe you could be nice just an opportunity just an idea maybe you give a gift but maybe if you don't know the person that well that you're giving a gift to maybe you want to give them a mystery gift and if you mm. wanted to do that Daryl Grove how could you do so oh you could use today's sponsor Away Days Away Days is an independent soccer clothing brand based in Boston they have their own stuff right with the uh, the Away Days mm-hmm. logo on it which is I was wearing my Away Days beanie the other day it was warm but still fashionable it's a globe and a soccer ball right yep. it's very very nice there's beanies there's t-shirts there's hoodies there's all that but they also do the mystery kit you pay $25 and you receive a mystery kit. As in, you don't know. It's a know. gray jersey with a question mark on it, right? <laughs> it is not. It is a jersey from somewhere around the world, um, and it will be a, a hipster pick, mm-hmm. shall we say, right? It won't be Arsenal, Real Madrid, anything mm-hmm. like that. It'll be um, a smaller team from somewhere around the world. You just don't know what it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It makes a great gift for yourself. Or for someone else. Yes, or, or for someone else. Um, it, it's also worth noting that it's not necessarily just like a totally random, like you're getting a Liechtenstein team or anything like that. It you tends could to do. be, you could, but it tends to be smaller clubs from uh, England, Spain, uh, Sweden, Scotland, Germany, many others. So it is a good way that if you are, say, uh, like into smaller leagues or you want to get into a new team or watching a different league or watching a new player or what have you, maybe you get that jersey and now you're like, well, now I want to know who plays for Bochum. And suddenly you're, you're <laughs> looking at the roster and you're figuring things out and it gets you into new teams and new leagues and the mystery kits cost 25 dollars, but you could get 15 percent off if you use the discount code 101 for mm-hmm. soccer 101 you that just put it at checkout you just put in the numbers 101 that will get you 15 percent off um, any order at awaydaysfootball.com the mystery kits are the most fun order but any order at awaydaysfootball.com the discount code is 101 for 15 percent off thank you very much to away days for sponsoring today's episode daryl should we get to some plans okay can we start with mine we can all right i have a plan for pro rel oh boy it'll get us uh four tiers Four divisions um, getting increasingly more regional as okay. we go down, mm-hmm. so that the sort of the teams with less money at the bottom will be playing locally. They won't be having to travel far across the country. The big idea I have is if there was um, some sort of reality where we had to have promotion relegation. I don't think it's happening without Major League Soccer being on board. So my plan is the same. We'll talk maybe a little bit about like some like ground-up ones after we get to our two big plans. Does that work for you? It does. And here's my idea. Um, essentially, it's an expansion of Major League Soccer. You mm-hmm. say to MLS and the MLS owners, okay, we're going to have multiple divisions. We're going to have Pro Rel, but you're going to own the whole thing, right? You are, you are going to own the whole thing. This is MLS would swallow the USL. MLS would swallow all the divisions below and own the entire soccer landscape. Because if we're honest, because of the 
preferential treatment they get from US soccer and soccer United marketing, they kind of do anyway, right? So we might as well make it official and expand it out and let MLS own the whole thing top to bottom. Okay. Here's the pitch I would make to owners, owner investors, right? So uh, most people know this. When you uh, pay the expansion fee, right. you don't just get a team. You also get a percentage. You own a percentage of the league, right? Um, you, own, you have a say in how the league is run. These original investors and operators, the people who bought expansion teams in the first 25, 30 years of Major League Soccer, they would still be the board of directors. Okay. So you still get to be in charge of what happens. Your team might get relegated to the second division or so, but you still get to have a say in how the entire structure operates. Because here's what I know about rich people. I've seen succession. Mm-hmm. What I know about rich people is they don't just love money. They love control. They yep. love being in charge. This so is very true. They, they are still in charge of the entire thing. Yep. Here's how the structure would go. A national first division, which we're calling MLS1. 18 teams. Uh, three teams get relegated at the end of the season. Below that on the pyramid, um, and it is pyramid-shaped, um, you have MLS2, the, the second division. There's an Eastern and a Western. MLS2 East, MLS2 West. Uh, the two champions of each division, you're champion of the East, champion of the West, you get promoted at the end of the season. And then there's a playoff uh, from the second and third place team in, each, uh, in the East and in the West to dis- decide who gets that one final promotion spot the reason for that is to keep the table alive right towards the end of the season if you're seventh and there's a few games to go your season's not over you still could reach for third place reach for the promotion playoffs very much like they do um, in england in the championship in Mm. league one and league two jumping in really fast i'm assuming then that a a big part of yours is going to be given what we've already talked about the size of the country the need for flexibility so for example if geographical rebalancing there we go so if if like for example Two Eastern Conference teams go down uh, and one Western Conference team goes down with them from the top flight and then like two Western or three Western come up. I'm assuming you're just going to kind of move teams around so that it fits, right? Each time the season starts, the um, essentially the 18 Easternmost teams Mm -hmm. will be in MLS 2 East. The 18 Westernmost teams will be in MLS 2 West. And it might mean if you're um, somewhere around the middle of the country, like if you can see the Mississippi from your stadium, Mm -hmm. then you might get uh, shunted sometimes to the East sometimes to the West, but it will it will make sense each season. There just might be a bit of shifting back and forth. I also like seeing the balance of the country in that, like, maybe you have more and more teams in, like, the the East until you have the West just getting bigger and bigger and bigger, or vice versa. <laughs> like, as one, one region becomes more dominant, you have to keep moving that line further and further over. And here's what, here's what happens next. Uh, so the 18 teams in each of the East and the West conference, uh, the bottom two in each division, uh, each conference, I guess we'll call it, um, get relegated down to MLS 3. MLS MLS 3 is regional. There's a southeast, a northeast, a central, and a west. So those are all on the same tier, but they're sort of a geographical region. Each of those has 18 teams each, and they're all the third division. Um, and here's where I'd get more flexible. I wouldn't say it has to be 18 teams. If you only can like muster 15 professional teams, 15 teams who can meet the standard, that's fine, right? The, uh, the central division could just be 15 teams mm-hmm. if, it, if it needs to be. But it, I'd cap it at 18 teams. Okay. Um, the, uh, the winners, the four champs, get promoted, right? So the winners of the southeast, northeast, central, and west will get promoted up to, to the two available spots in the MLS 2 east, MLS 2 west. Nice and simple, right? Relegated is the bottom of each of those conferences, right? So the bottom of the southeast, bottom of the northeast, bottom of the central, bottom of the west, you guys are going down. And what you're going down to is called MLS 4. MLS 4 is statewide, meaning there are 
up to 50 different regions by state. Like North Dakota might not have one. Alaska might not have one, right? If you can't get a few teams together and can't put a division together, it's fine. Your state doesn't have to do it. But at that level, it's essentially just um, a state championship of semi-pro and amateur teams uh, that have the statewide competition. The winners of each statewide competition will then be clustered into what I'm going to call super regions mm-hmm. for a sort of playoff of let's say in the in so the you've s- got regions and then you've got super regions super regions All for right. example uh, to to take the southeast spot that's available because the team's been relegated um the state champions of let's say virginia north carolina south carolina georgia florida will have some form of playoff uh, or championship amongst them the winner of that gets moved up to mls3 mm-hmm. southeast so you can be a pretty small team playing in mls4 could be kind of amateur if you can manage to win your state, then win the sort of super regional thing, super state, the super state championship, that's what it's called, then you can go up to the regional MLS3. You'll be a third division team. All right. And what if you're a new team coming in? Do you have to start at the very bottom? Are you starting in that sort of state, super state, regional? Um, assuming all divisions are filled, mm-hmm. yes, you start in that in your state, your state competition, right? You'd start in mm-hmm. Virginia, say. I would say if, say, the southeast, uh, we keep saying southeast because that's where we are. If the southeast only has... 14 teams and the space for 18 teams. I think if someone came in with, I've got a bunch of money, I've got like a really professional looking team ready to go. Mm -hmm. I think there are criteria you could meet to skip over having to spend time in that state division and go straight to the Southeast MLS three, right? Mm -hmm. Up to a point, right? Up to when we get 18 teams, then sorry guys, there's no more room. You got to to start in your state. And if you're that good, you'll win it and we'll see you in a year or two. I think this analogy is going to make sense, but it's like, imagine if you take this pyramid and flip it upside down and you're like filling it up with water, that Mm -hmm. like the water is the teams. So as you get more and more water, (laughs) more and more teams you it keeps filling up and filling up and you keep having to add segments on to expand it out so you can accommodate all that that would be the idea right so even though we only have a set number of professional teams right now operating in the country you want to have it structured uh in such a way that it lends itself to filling out and filling out and getting bigger and bigger and bigger yes exactly i've got a few little rules to lay Mm -hmm. on top of it as well um if you're an mls2 team like say you're the tacoma defiance you, you have to be at least one division below your parent team, especially if you're going to share players mm-hmm. back and forth. So sort of like they do in Spain, right? Barcelona B cannot um, ascend right. to La Liga when Barcelona are there. I think that's fair. I think that's we keep that structure, right? I would also copy a little bit from Germany. If you're in the top two divisions, so MLS 1 or MLS 2 East and West, you have to have a development academy. Mm-hmm. So there will be some um, criteria you have to meet if you're going to be promoted. Right, so you could finish top of MLS three, theoretically get promoted. If you don't have an academy set up, someone else gets promoted instead. I like that because in my mind, it, it's just a natural extension that oh well, we want to be able to be profitable, and a big part of that is like bringing through academy players who we don't have to pay transfer fees or whatever big salaries to. But then there are definitely going to be people who would not do that and would just try yep. to operate on a shoestring budget mm-hmm. and bring in cheaper players. So I like the idea of making that a requirement. And, and then part, you're keeping it going. Well done, and then Errol. part of the big pitch um, mm-hmm. is uh, you owners, you original investor, owner, operator people, mm-hmm. you can make more money on this gigantic league because we're, we are going to absolutely market the pro-rel aspect in a big, big way. Okay. Right? There would be a big push of a new era of soccer in America. Mm-hmm. I think a lot of people would uh, – people who've been anti-MLS – 
would come in at this point, right? If you say there's no more salary cap, there are no more roster rules, there's no pro-rel starting in whatever year it is, 2030, um, I think a lot of people, people we know who are soccer fans, but are like, I don't like MLS. It's a weird, fakey structure. I think they would buy in at that point. There's a massive, essentially, Euro snob market Mm -hmm. who would be willing to buy into Major League Soccer with its four divisions at this point. I think this is what makes soccer really take off in the United States. I didn't think about that aspect either of the people who have kind of rooted against Major League Soccer for being closed, for not having pro-rel, for being American and not like modeling the European system. So you would probably get some spiteful people invex- investing in teams because they want to knock off MLS opposition yeah, yeah. and put them further and further down that table. <laughs> I like that. I like that as well. Claim some, some spite some, factors in. Yeah, claim some 90 scalps. <laughs> um, <laughs> my one big question, which may be slightly challenging, so I apologize in advance. When you say MLS would swallow everything, mm-hmm. like – do you mean that they're now going to control like that board controls from top to bottom? And I, and and I guess I'm assuming that's the case, which then begs the question: like, so what happens to teams that have paid their expansion fees to get into USL? MLS now owns USL. Okay, MLS now owns USL, and I would imagine if you're a USL team, this is a preferable situation, right? Because uh-huh. you have a shot at going to the very top. So the I think the most recent expansion fee for USL was uh, ten million dollars, mm-hmm. right? You compare that to you could play at the same level as someone who's paid two hundred and twenty-five million dollars. It's a great deal for a, for a USL owner. So yeah, this is MLS swallowing USL and taking in all their teams. I actually think that is a very good point on why you could make it persuasive to MLS owners right now because there's always that argument of like, yeah, but if they've paid $250 million to be guaranteed uh, MLS, and then if you're the owner of FC Cincinnati and you don't put it together and you get knocked down and knocked down, what was the point of paying that? But if you're now giving them basically an ownership stake in every level of U.S. soccer, like you sort of are sacrificing being in the top, top tier potentially for having like an ownership stake in every single yep. level in a way that you do not currently have. And it probably gives you a lot more long-term stability. There's a lot more commercial rights you can mm-hmm. sell as well because you can sell them to all these teams yep, i think yep. i honestly think the product would be just like the euro snobs would buy in i think tv companies if you're saying this is the beginning of a new era there are all these teams i think this is where the tv contract will get much much bigger all right yeah okay all right i'm in on that one any any other little points you wanted to get to no i'm gonna quit while i'm ahead i think <laughs> i like it i mean yeah i, I think uh, it's it's the the probably most logical model of you have to build with major league soccer in mind mm-hmm. uh because it's probably the most realistic way of getting it off the ground and it's probably also the most realistic thing that could happen if MLS continues to expand and then has to come in with new ideas for how to keep things fresh and exciting. So we have more plans to come, right? We, we, ha- we have the Taylor plan. We have the then Taylor we also plan. have some, what I'm going to call like not fully thought through plans, but good ideas that we're going to pitch, or at least I'm going to pitch um, towards the end. Ah, the half-baked Pro-Rel ideas. The half-baked Pro-Rel ideas towards the end of this episode. But first, if you do not enjoy a closed system when you go on the internet, you may be interested in today's sponsor. It's ExpressVPN. Mm-hmm. Once you use a VPN, you really do uh, get out of the closed system and you are open to the entire internet. That's right. Because you can, sorry, go ahead. I was going yeah, to pick it up for you. Uh, ExpressVPN lets you spoof your location so you can, say, appear to be in the, uh, the Netherlands. So then you can watch Dutch Netflix, as I've talked about before. I don't know uh-huh. why I'm obsessed with Dutch Netflix. But you can also then <laughs> – Is there a special show on Dutch Netflix I, that you really I think, like? I think it was just because when we did the Marvel 11, you could get all the Marvel movies on Netflix in the Netherlands. I, I think see. is how it worked. I there's, feel not, like, there's not like um, a TV show uh, – a dramedy called The Windmill that you're really into. <laughs> cloggers and the cloggers who love them. Uh, <laughs> the great Dutch clogger. <laughs> That's... 
I would watch that show. <laughs> I would watch that show hard. Just people <laughs> making clubs. Yes. And then I, the judges wear them. I probably would watch a series of documentaries about the uh, like the dike system and how they went about reclaiming land. Yes. That might be sort of relevant for today. Now we've got politics, we've got society, and we've got rising uh, ocean levels. Yeah, perfect, perfect, perfect. The trifecta. But if you wanted to watch maybe a less bleak thing and more, say, uh, match of the day, or like, yep. like you could do that. You can make it look as though you are living in England, and then you yep. can watch things that are in England. Yes, you can on the BBC iPlayer, for example. Yeah, you could watch Match of the Day every Saturday. I do do that, and I do use ExpressVPN to do that. Feels like I'm at home, exactly. looking at Gary Lineker's yeah. smiley face. And then if you, you know, if you don't <laughs> live in the United States, and in 2031, when Daryl's League is online and suddenly ProRail is really, really fascinating, you could use a VPN to appear to be in the United States, and then you can watch it that way. So it works both ways. That's all I'm saying. It also protects your data. That's true. Really, the original point of virtual private networks, VPN, was not to watch television from other countries. That's just one of the happy benefits. It wasn't to theoretically come up with weird Dutch TV shows? It wasn't. That wasn't their original idea. Yeah, it's a happy coincidence. Mm -hmm. Uh, The original idea was to um, encrypt your data and keep you safe from hackers online. So you can do that as well. Um, So protect your online activity today and possibly get access to the cloggers. Um, find out how you can get three months free at expressvpn.com slash soccer. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N.com slash soccer for three months free with a one-year package. Visit expressvpn.com slash soccer to learn more. Thank you very much to ExpressVPN for sponsoring today's episode. Uh, I want to move on to my plan, but first I want to say that the beauty of ProRail is you can then found teams whenever you want to, put a little bit of money behind them, and I want the new Amsterdam cloggers. Oh, I yes. need that to be a team. That'd be a New York team, right? Yeah. The new Amsterdam cloggers. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. uh, they can uh, participate in my pro-rail system <laughs> if they so choose. Um, I found myself very preoccupied with how big the country is and how the you United sort States? of... Yeah, and how you make it so that teams can remain profitable and exist rather than having to travel all over the place. So I went for the Brazilian model of the national championship and the state championship. Brazil? What could we learn about soccer from Brazil? Well, What have they, they ever achieved in the sport of soccer? Very little, I think. Uh, they've won what? Like, have they won a World Cup yet? I forget. They're working on it. Okay, I, I think right. they're working on it. I actually think, before we hear your plan, yep. I would say Brazil's a really good model because aren't they similarly geographically yes. massive? Yes, they are, but then they're also similarly like they have a lot of teams in certain areas of, yeah. of the country that lend themselves to those two teams all playing each other but then still having them all play each other at national level as well all right so, so that's your what plan is for. modeled on the brazil plan it certainly I'm into is it. i'm into it and there's two little things that we need to be clear on here the number two is going to be important because we've got two seasons essentially we're going to have the apertura and clausura similar to what brazil has where we're going to have the opening and the closing you got it you've got a fall season which will be the opening and then you've got the spring winter season which will be the closing one okay. so two seasons there to go with the two seasons Tough one to get around. We have two pyramids. Double so pyramids. Just keep that in mind. We've it's got a double pyramid system. Double pyramids. Okay. So we're going to start with the National League. All right. Okay. So basically, the National League is going to be the one that runs from August to December, and it is, for lack of a better way of explaining it, very similar to what Daryl just described with his National Pyramid. Okay. Uh, you're going to have the National First Division, which is 18 teams. Uh, that's the top flight. You're going to have the National Second Division, which is also 18 teams. That's the second top flight. Those are both nationwide. Okay, so I had an east and west. You have a nationwide Mm -hmm. second division. And my idea here is sort of, as I said previously, it is... 
the idea is like you're incorporating MLS owners and MLS into the structure of it, and you're kind of selling them on this is a way to kind of keep the league fresh, but maybe keep your role at the top of the table. But then you've got a lot more opportunities for making money is sort of what I'm going with here, which okay. I think would appeal. Okay, but that's how, do why they, how do they go up and down between those two divisions? They go up and down via promotion relegation, okay. uh, but they do so uh, drastically between those first two. You have, at the end of the season, four going down and four coming up. Ooh. So there's a lot of fluidity between the idea would be that like, if you establish this in, say, <clears throat> like 2030 as an example, by then my plan calls for MLS to expand to 36 teams. So now you've got 36. At the end of, at the, end of like, the penultimate or the ultimate season, you split those into top 18, go into the top, uh, the national first division, the bottom 18, go into the national second division. That'll be a fun final season of old MLS, I I envision drama. I envision drama there. That's it. That's a whole year of marketing for the new Mm -hmm. thing, right? Right. Next season it's coming. Mm -hmm. Next season it's coming. But then the idea is that... Finishing the top 18. (laughs) And then with the four going up, four going down, you sort of are telling those teams that do end up in the second division, but you've got a lot of opportunities to move up and there should be a lot of fluidity. There won't be as much fluidity between the like national second division and the national third division which itself is still a national league but that one is 18 teams it's all 18 all the way down yeah this one you've only got two going up at the end of the season and two coming down from the second division. okay so you've established a slightly thicker border yeah. between where the mls cutoff used to be mm-hmm. and and the rest it's yes. a border but the, it's a pretty thick border it is yeah. intentionally so because i think i gave a lot of weight to trying to incorporate what mls would want and mm-hmm. i think that you could then pitch them on even if you are one of the mls teams who does go down down, the idea would be that you have such operational structure in place that with a little bit more expenditure and a little bit of upkeeping, you really do go right back up because you should be dominant in that third division, at least to start. Um, and then below that in the national fourth division, similar to you, I've divided into four regions. You've got 18 teams per region. I've got a west, a central, a south, and a north. And then you can kind Is it of- like a southeast and northeast? Yeah, basically. If so, then we've basically ended up identifying the same regions. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you kind of have to if you're that going me, with makes four. makes me feel correct if you ended up doing the well, same initially, thing. I was like, well, it's obvious. It's northwest, it's southwest, and then it's northeast and southeast. But really, northwest would be three teams. <laughs> so that wouldn't work out so well. Uh, so, And then you can kind of continue the uh, pyramid down on the, at the national level uh, as you have it. The key difference, I think, for me is that let's go back to the national first division for a moment. As I said, 18 teams there. You're playing 17 games between August and December. So you're playing everybody just once. That hmm. Basically, then you're relying on the random draw of the schedule that you're hoping you get the cold weather team at home so you don't have to go play in the freezing cold you're hoping that you get maybe an easier team on the road but it really requires the ruthlessness of you've got to win now you've got to win every game i mean it could be a bit of i don't want to meddle with your plan Mm -hmm. but it could be a bit of planning where for example the as we get into the winter months, mm-hmm. maybe those teams are on the road. Yeah, that, that's also a possibility. Yeah. You could do that if you wanted to, mm-hmm. if you want to, or, you know, put on a long sleeve shirt and get out there. They could just travel the country <laughs> saying winter is coming. <laughs> yes. So that's... When they arrive in California, everyone will be like, I don't see it. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Um, but, the end of, but the idea is that at, in that, like, at, at the end of that, those 18 games you played 17 in December, you have your national champion. That's it. There's no playoffs. You've just got the, like, the fall season is essentially the national league, mm-hmm. and that's that. Then you can kind of regroup for about a month. Then come February, we've got that second pyramid that I was talking about. In Brazil, it's called the state championships. We're not going to have 50 different championships here. We're going with a more regional competition. So my tickets to the North Dakota championship are no good. I mean, you can still use them. I just think there won't be many people there for you to watch or (laughs) sit with, is my guess. But this is where those four regions that we identified uh, together, or like we both identified, Mm -hmm. um, you're going to go play in just your region Mm -hmm. for that like basically f- February to May uh, schedule. So the spring season. Mm-hmm. 
And so say you're in the Western division, uh, that or the Western region, that is, you're going to be like the top tier there, you still have promotion relegation. So you're going to have 15 teams. I did it up very quickly based on like current standings in the Western Conference of MLS and USL Pro. But you'd have those 15, and that really does give you a lot of good rivalries of LAFC, Seattle, uh, LA Galaxy, Portland, San Jose. But then getting down into some local or like the smaller ones of Fresno and Las Vegas Lights and El Paso. They're in the West, by the way. It's confusing, mm-hmm. but they're in there. And so at the end of the spring season, you've got Pro Rel here. So you've got 15 so there teams. There are multiple tiers in. In each region there right? certainly are that okay, would be so, so if i'm a really small mm-hmm. team in oregon right i can be in like the third tier of the western region you can okay. indeed you've got 15 teams and, it, and similarly it keeps going down and then at the fourth division level so 15 in the first 15 second 15 third in the fourth division that's where it gets like hyper regional and that's where maybe you have like eastern virginia and western virginia or okay. you've like so you're kind of splitting it up to make it even more i think they already uh, did western virginia in real life yeah, they did they did <laughs> uh western west virginia uh but yeah like basically that makes it so that you can be a very small team operating on a smaller budget yeah. And then you can like continue to play in that league the next season. Uh, you don't then have to go to like the National Premier League or anything like that mm-hmm. unless you work your way up because it's worth noting that you can very much be in the, uh, I don't know, like the National Premier League but then be in the second division in your uh, respective region. Oh, so you could be one of those teams that like does well in the fall but yep. is a bad team in the spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I got but, it. but here I guess my idea is that if you are an existing MLS franchise, you sort of have the opportunity to play at the national level and get all the spotlight on you that way but then you can can play at a more cost-effective level because you don't have to pay for transcontinental flights and all mm-hmm. that. You're kind of staying in your area. You're building regional rivalries. But it's another opportunity to beat up on some opposition, finish high in that table, and then you still have a second shot at silverware there. But I would also say you bring back some um, some spotlight yep. uh, to your regional you division, mm-hmm. right? Where the to your regional league, where the smaller teams that don't really have a shot at the the national top division mm-hmm. have a shot at playing Seattle or, yes. or Portland. Yeah. And then my final wrinkle here. Here, is that uh, in the like the top division of each region at the end of the season the top two teams they're going to go play against the other regions you're going to have eight teams total obviously and then you're going to have just, yep you got playoffs so okay. so this system allows you to have the just the regular single table model and then you yep. still have playoffs at the end and you've got the the spring champion basically is the regional team that wins their home and away knockout rounds gets to the final at a predetermined location so now mm-hmm. you've got like the kind of Super Bowl model two teams playing there that's your like spring state champion and then you still have the national league to follow the next season so in my head with these two pyramids the the fall season Mm -hmm. is the one that would be the more um coveted to win yeah i think so. right because Mm -hmm. it's like over the course of a regular season yep and it's like national from the very beginning yeah where even though you can be a national champion in the spring it's it's got a more regional basis to it and it's anything can happen in the playoffs mm-hmm. kind of thing right but you can totally picture a world in which lafc want to be the national champion but they also want, want to run the west mm-hmm. you can picture a world in which uh, atlanta very much wants to run the south or uh, new york wants to run the north yep. so you, you like i think there will also still be that uh, the motivation to be the dominant team in your region, yep. but then also, yeah, be the dominant team in the nation as well. I like the fostering of regional rivalries, mm-hmm. and then you're sort of having your cake and eating it by yeah. splitting it into the, uh, yeah. the, the the regional and the national. That's what I was okay. going for, because I, I like the idea of limiting the travel for smaller teams, but still giving them a shot at bigger teams more consistently than, say, the U.S. Open Cup would allow. Okay. I Which we I... might do away with, by the way. I don't know. It, it depends on how much no. it will conflict with things. Well, oh, dear idea. <laughs> we can never do away with the U.S. Um, Open Cup. But, but the other... the 
only other thing that I really thought would be a strong selling point for MLS owners if you're trying to convince them is just that if you have two pyramids and two competitions, you've got double opportunities for sponsor. So you could have <laughs> the National League sponsored by Target and your Regional League sponsored by Walmart or something yeah. like that. You two, can, two different TV contracts. Mm-hmm, yeah. Two different wireless providers, all that good stuff. <laughs> so many, many opportunities to make much more money, which I think would appeal to uh, some folks at the top. So Verizon in the spring and T-Mobile in the fall. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I don't know if you could do like jersey sponsor switches, but who knows? Maybe you could do that too. I mean, if if you can sell it, you, you can do it, right? I think so. I think if you sell it, you can do it. Yeah. Um, okay. I have no. I have no cross examination. Right. Questions. I'm excited for any form of pro rail in these United States. I got. I started to get slightly bogged down in the math of could you make it all fit in a same like time frame of what MLS currently exists in, so you don't have to extend too far. I think I've gotten it just about. Maybe you're going to have some fixture fixture congestion, but I'm good with it. <laughs> I mean, it's a good problem to have, right? <laughs> it totally is. Um, uh, we all know what happens in England over the uh, the Christmas and New Year period. It gets cold. It does get cold, <laughs> but also there's a lot of fixture congestion. Santa comes? Yeah. He okay. does. He yeah. does. He yeah. does. Yeah, so I was trying to avoid – we give the players like the holidays to be with their family to get, uh, you know, like their energy back. And then we have the uh, the state championships, the regional championships. There we go. Mm-hmm. There we go. Um, okay. It's time for um, our half-baked ideas. All right. <laughs> Our poorly thought through mm. ideas. Um, I have one that I think you and I have sort of discussed casually off air. The Granola League? Which we called the Granola yeah. League. And this is the idea that, okay, both of our ideas essentially involved mm-hmm. placating the MLS owners yep. so far, right? What if you were just like, all right, those guys are not going to play ball. They're going to keep doing their own thing. Alexi Lalas on Twitter keeps saying, build a better mousetrap. Mm-hmm. I'm going to take all my granola, all my grassroots energy and build a better mousetrap of grassroots football teams. Okay. And I'm not going to make the mistake that the NASL did and try and challenge MLS by saying, oh, we're going to sign Raul and we're going to be just as big as you and we're eventually going to um, overtake you or force you out of business or force a merger. We are going to be the league that is um, small teams sort of with a strong community aspect like a Detroit City FC or um, Bug Eaters that, or the, uh, the Kingston Stockade mm. owned by Dennis Crowley, right? Small budget, but big passion, you know what I mean? And an entire national league with structures where there is a national division um, and then there are lots of little regional divisions. And this Granola League would combine all those teams that are currently in NISA or UPSL or NPSL or probably some other structures that I'm not even aware of that are Mm -hmm. sort of amateur slash semi-pro. Get all of those on the same page, get everybody working together and have a grassroots soccer league. And I think the people who feel like I don't like what MLS is doing. I really want like a more local feel. This is a league for you. This is your league. Do you feel like cuz I still do get caught like hung up on the monetary aspect. Uh, do you feel like one solution to that could be like an almost full communism or socialism of like everybody pools their money. <laughs> like everybody has to give a million dollars or something like that depending on the level you're going to be competing in and then that all gets redistributed to all the different teams. Like I do think you'd need some sort of financially stabilizing yeah. thing so that you don't have well, Dennis Kylie's Kingston going all the way to Nebraska and having to finance it that way. Well, it's a mix of two things, right? Um, if you the teams that we just named so Dennis Crowley's mm-hmm. Kingston Stockade and, say, Jonathan Kalora's uh, Bug Eaters, Bug Eaters mm-hmm. in Nebraska. Um, those guys are essentially, as I understand it, not mm-hmm. making money on those teams. Right? No, they're losing not. money. Yeah. But they're not willing to lose like $7 million. Right. Uh, I think I've seen the financials that Dennis Crowley puts out. He's willing to lose, what, like 50 grand a year, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think it will still be a lot of that. It will still be 
wealthy-ish owners, not like Bill Gates owners, but people who are just willing to lose 50 grand for the passion of soccer. It's all about passion. It's not even about expecting a return on investment, mm-hmm. right? Then on top of that, I think you can still sell some you know, sponsorships for the league. Maybe you're not getting T-Mobile. Maybe you're getting um, cricket or something. <laughs> but you can sell some sponsorships yeah. for this uh, smaller ambition league. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that money can maybe just be distributed however you want to distribute it to essentially make travel easier for various teams. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sort of, would you agree then that the idea here is like less about developing really, really, really great soccer teams? Like that would obviously be a, a good thing to have happen. Mm-hmm. But it's more about the idea of soccer and soccer supporter culture is supposed to be grassroots. It's supposed to yes. just be a bunch of people who want to be there out of the commonality of where they're from or where they live mm-hmm. or what they believe in with that team. And it yep. sort of reflects it that way. So it's not really about like they're scoring 15 goals a game and they're the best team ever and they can dominate all over the place. It's more I mean, about there would like, be some of that because yeah, you'd enjoy certainly. your team being brilliant, yeah. right? But the, the, the big thing is they would be pro-rel within that. So mm-hmm. you can go up to that like national division, but that national division, you're not playing against teams in 40,000-seater stadiums. Yeah. You're still playing against teams that are maybe getting six or 7,000 at most. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I think, let, me, let me try to explain this better because I think it would help uh, like elucidate what I'm trying to get at is that like you look at a, a team like FC St. Pauli in Germany who yeah. have been in the Bundesliga before but tend to be in uh, the two Bundesliga, I think occasionally drop down to the third division. But you sort of get the impression that the fans, like, they would like to be in the Bundesliga, but it's not that thing of, like, we haven't been in the Bundesliga in 10 years and we're revolting and we want the coach gone. It sort of is like, we would like to be there, but that is not the end-all, be-all of what we are about. Yes, it's because you are emotionally invested in the team, or you might have turned up Mm -hmm. and painted the stadium. You might have turned up and, like, done some construction Mm -hmm. work on the stadium. Yeah, it'll be a lot of um, volunteer fan involvement, and you have a sense of ownership of this team in a way that, honestly, you can't when a billionaire um, owns your team. Mm -hmm. Like, Atlanta United fans, obviously, love Arthur Blank and love that beautiful Mercedes-Benz Stadium but they didn't really <laughs> like Obama said you didn't mm-hmm. build that right yeah no <laughs> you're benefiting from Arthur Arthur Blank's largesse there whereas you will have actually maybe been involved in some way you might have been out with a bucket collecting some money for your team yeah right right, right. I'm good with that and I think like a an, interme- an intermediary step between having like a national league as well is you could almost have regionalized leagues that are all part of one like unified system it's not you've got this league and this league and this league but you've got, like, regions that they're competing in, and then they send teams almost to, like, a postseason, a March Madness-style bracket, and you kind of do it that way of, like, an elimination tournament that then you have some, like, sort of... Then you do have a New York team playing a a Nebraska team and things like that. Let's not get down in the weeds on this. Because there's a half-baked plan, Mm -hmm. right? Let's keep them half-baked. Let's not turn the oven all the way up. All right. Um, I think I was making it less baked (laughs) by adding more ideas to it. The essential two ideas of it is, one... It's a nationwide mm-hmm. structure for small teams, right? So yep. there's no more competing between UPSL, MPSL, all that. There's just one big structure so yep. that everybody's on the same page. And that whole lower league structure has stability to it. And everybody shares an agreement, like a rough agreement, that the um, these are teams that the community can invest in and we don't have ambitions to be a mega club. Mm-hmm. We are happy just providing soccer at this grassroots level. Yeah. There all we right. go. So that's, uh, my, that's my half-baked idea. All right. I like that one. I have a like, granola in my eyes. I have a micro with granola in your eyes. I love it. I have a, like a micro level idea that probably relates to my idea that it either comes from everybody agreeing to get on board or one single person running everything. I guess mine is like a dictator model of maybe at a very local level, you've got it, like this one state league that gets established. So let's say pick a random state for me. 
Michigan. Michigan. You've got like this one league uh, arises in Michigan. It's smaller, smaller teams, but you've got enough teams. Say you've got thirty teams. You make it fifteen and fifteen. Everybody right. plays Lan- each other twice. Lansing's back. Yeah, and Arbor team's still there. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. And 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 it works. You've got it kind of really regimented. There's a lot of rules in place to make it structurally that everything works and no one's overspending, but no one's underspending. And then maybe Wisconsin looks at that and they say like, actually, we want to kind of be a part of that. And then slowly it expands. That's the model that I could see eventually like taking over and then you do have the kind challenging of challenging MLS? No, but more so like I could see it that way of like if you have one person's vision sort of driving the way it works, I think maybe if you have it regimented and structured enough that you can then kind of seamlessly bring smaller teams in more and more and more, yeah. you could expand it out so then you do have the kind of national pyramid so that we've described. You're sort of talking about there are soccer wars mm-hmm. between leagues, but yeah. there's just one really dominant league that is I mean, sort of like the um Hannibal <laughs> yeah, of leagues where they when they come into contact with another league, they mm-hmm. immediately win and pull them in. You're talking about like Hannibal the uh, Carthaginian, not yes. Hannibal Lecter. Yes. Then yes, I'm good with you on that one. Yeah, I mean it's basically the he, um, the empire model. Eventually, he would weep because there were no more leagues to conquer. <laughs> <laughs> That's that is. Outstanding, even though I think you went to Alexander on it, but still, oh. <laughs> it's still, it but, is it, Alexander. But, it, but it does work though. That like that's, I guess that's kind of is what I'm talking about. Yeah. Is like the innovative strategy, like strategian who's like, I've got this strategist. I, I use the uh, George Bush word, but like who's got this very specific vision for how it could work, and then people buy in and people get on board, and it keeps spreading and spreading and spreading. That's a possibility, and then you go into the national pyramid structure. But I think in the end, it's going to take money and investment. But you could also then incorporate. Other aspects that are maybe underutilized right now, which is the one that I think you came up with. Oh, last I mentioned night. this yeah. just last night. Yeah, I, um, I'm kind of fascinated with this. So, college soccer, mm-hmm. right? There are a bunch of really well-run programs mm-hmm. and teams. They've already got facilities and stadiums, and obviously a fan base, right? Like current people who go to the college or uh, alumni. Um, I feel like there's got to be a way to harness all of that and like add some semi-pro teams to it. And you suddenly create a thriving soccer um, landscape, right? And I know there's a lot of NCAA obstacles. Mm-hmm. That's the stuff we would have to overcome, right? You would have to have NCAA say, all right, our soccer is not doing as well as our basketball mm-hmm. or our football. Yeah. Um, we are willing to make a lot of compromises with NCAA soccer and let those guys compete against uh, some local uh, semi-pro teams. And you could have it based on the established conferences, right? I mean, like the, th- that's the what I'm saying. And then a bunch of semi-pro teams around that. You've suddenly got a really good soccer league. I, when you first suggested this, I was like, what? Like, what is he talking about? And then it, the one that really made me be like, oh, is you and I are talking about like having regions and dividing it up accordingly and that's how you could make it. And then it's like, well, that's what they've done. Like, yes. you've got the Pac-12, you've got the Southeastern Conference. Mm-hmm. Like, you've got like already those sort of divisions that you could operate within. And then, yeah, if you maybe loosen some of the rules, like maybe now everybody gets a scholarship if they play in that league and, yeah. and that's financed by the semi-pro teams who have some money then you could make it work. And you've got, again, it's a smaller level, but it builds from there. I'm kind of into it. It does require a lot of regulation changing. And it also means, okay, so the college is still like roughly 18 to 22-year-old, so they've got their mm-hmm. own sort of weird restrictions in that way, right? But the experience of playing college soccer, I mean, one, we'd get four seasons out mm-hmm. of it. Um, and two, if you're playing against other pros and semi-pros, it's a much more valuable soccer experience. Mm-hmm. It's no more that like if you spend four years in college, it's kind of 
almost um, development years wasted, at least yep. in terms of the global soccer standard. It raises it up at least a little bit, and it gives a lot of semi-pro teams a structure yep. to play within instead of going out of business. So now Lansing Ignite could, um, instead of the owner looking at it and being like, ah, this isn't really working, he's got games against the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm Michigan into it. State. I'm into it also because— He's taking on the Spartans and the Wolverines. I'm, I'm in, and we all, and then they all have good uh, automatic names as well. There so we you go. Can, yeah, you can go with that too. But like, we have played, or I, I have played, like summer league against current college players. This was a while ago when I was in like peak fitness, and it is the case that if you are only playing against other 19 year olds, you get used to playing against other 19 year olds. If you're suddenly playing against a 27 year old who's been playing for a while, they tend to win the physical battles. Mm-hmm. As strange as that sounds, and so I like the idea of yeah, going up against. Older players, more veteran players, it does season the college players a bit more than it currently the system provides. And then hopefully the reason it's a pro rel thing is hopefully mm-hmm. within each region there are enough teams that you could actually have different tiers okay. within it, right? Okay. So it would establish there's already enough teams for a league, right, within a conference. Mm-hmm. So you add all the semi pro teams, maybe there's a second tier. You add the division two, division three schools, um, and then, then it then you're talking about a lot of teams all of a sudden. And it's weirdly, weirdly, weirdly not so foreign because you do have conference realignments when mm-hmm. one uh, school gets big enough or, or jumps to a different conference that is a version of ProRail because you're yeah. generally moving from a smaller one that doesn't give you the national attention or acclaim or chance to make it into tournaments. You move to another one which is slightly bigger, slightly better. Yeah. You do then have that opportunity. There you go. There's my weird ProRail. I can't believe this makes as much plan. sense as it does. <laughs> Again, knowing nothing about NCAA rules and eligibility and all that, what I know just about- have to throw that out and start again. Yeah, basically. what I know about the NCAA rules is mm-hmm. We're going to break him. Yes, <laughs> we certainly are. And we're going to do it openly and honestly. I wouldn't weep when there are no more rules to break. Um, <laughs> do you have any more half baked ideas? No, I mean aside right. aside from like FIFA requiring it to happen or something like that, yeah. or I don't know, someone giving U.S. Soccer ten billion dollars to implement Pro Rel. Well, uh, yeah, even then, like the two of our plans yeah. would essentially be mm-hmm. maybe the way to go. Yeah. Except you wouldn't have to placate the MLS owners mm-hmm. so much. Yeah. Right. Because if it's happening anyway, and there's no. Uh, they've got no argument against it, then, yeah, yeah, we don't have to be... We don't have to treat them like royalty then anymore. Well, when the alien overlords come and for some reason offer us money to implement ProRel, they're a very weird alien species. Uh, we now have some plans. that we, we, have some, we have some rough blueprints and some unbaked pies that people could uh, <laughs> potentially look to. All right. Um, we'd love your feedback, I think, on our ProRel ideas. Maybe. You can always contact <laughs> us at contact at TotalSoccerShow.com. is an email that goes to both of us. Mm. We're on Twitter at Total Soccer Show because the Total Soccer Show is our other show, our daily show, Monday through Friday, offering news, reviews, analysis of games and happenings that are, that are going on. You are listening to Soccer 101, which is our soccer library full of all kinds of information and half-baked pies. This is true. And if you are a person who wants to send us one of those emails, just know that there's a direct correlation between number of capitalized words and amount of time that I'm going to spend reading your email. So just know <laughs> that ahead of time. Ahead that's, of time. That's fair. Okay, I've been Daryl Grove. I've been Taylor Rockwell. You've been listening to Soccer 101. Thank you for listening to Soccer 101. We'll